All right, how's everybody doing? You guys doing good? Feeling good? All right, it's great to see you. Uh, I, I love my Bible. I love reading my Bible. It's a good thing I'm a pastor. I don't know if you've ever gotten into, into the Bible, into the Word of God. There is a big chunk of Scripture that is called the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament makes up about 75% of our Bibles. Isn't that crazy? That's a pretty big chunk, right? It's the first 39 books. And the Old Testament begins with creation. And it tells the story of the Jewish people all the way to the coming of Christ. Now, I love the Old Testament. There are some awesome stories we know and we love. Do you have a, do you have a favorite Old Testament story? There's some great, great stories in the Old Testament. Uh, we did Daniel uh, just, just earlier in the summer, and it was awesome. But you have to admit, there are parts of the Old Testament that are just a little crazy. You know what I'm talking about? There are parts that are weird and confusing. Like some of the names. Have you ever been in Bible study, reading, and all of a sudden it's like, and... The longest name in the Old Testament is 18 characters long. It's the son of Isaiah. Anybody know the name? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Maharshalal Hashbaz. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Neither do you. So you just say it confidently, right? There's the names. There's a list of names. Uh, The Old Testament is full of laws and rituals. And so you'll read stories about, um, you know, Sabbaths and feasts and festivals that we don't celebrate. Of course, the, you'll, if you read your Old Testament, you'll get a detailed description on how to prepare an animal for sacrifice. Uh, or, or my favorite, what to do if you have a white pussy skin disease. It's in there. It's always a good morning when you're like, you know, reading your Bible at breakfast and you're in the, the part about the skin diseases. It's a great start to the morning. Uh, I, I remember reading Ezekiel. And uh, in, in Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel, he says, All right, so I'm going to need you to bake this bread using somebody's poop. And, and Ezekiel's response is great. He's like, uh, God, is there any other way? <laughs> that was for all the middle schoolers in the room, by the way. I mean, that's in there. Read your Old Testament. Number one, it's awesome. It's the Word of God. Um, But read your Old Testament. It won't take long, and you'll start to have questions. And you'll start to ask yourself, how does this relate to me? And I remember asking that question as a 17-year-old. I was a brand-new Christian, a brand-new follower of Jesus, and I was so excited about God I just wanted to learn everything I could about God. I went out, I bought a Bible, you know, my very first Bible, and I opened it up to page one. And I started reading Genesis, and Genesis was awesome. I loved it. I read Exodus, and then I hit Leviticus. (laughs) You're all laughing. Leviticus is literally the death of all Bible reading plans. It is. So I was confused. I didn't know like what I was reading or how this related to me. 
And I ran up to my pastor one Sunday morning and I said, Pastor Murphy, you got to help me. I grabbed him in the hall. I said, can you please tell me how this Old Testament even relates to the New Testament? And he just looked at me and he goes, son, I don't know. And he walked away. By the way, as a pastor, we don't have all the answers. So, yeah. (laughs) We don't always know the answer to every question. Um, But as a brand new Christian... You know, I understood the Jesus story. Jesus died on the cross for my sins because of his death and resurrection. Um, I had forgiveness. I had new life. I understood my story. I understood that God was now working in my life. I have this new relationship with God. But there was this story, 39 chapters, Jewish scriptures, and I just didn't know how it related to me or how it related to my faith. In Jesus Christ. And that's actually what we're looking at today. Um, So if you have your Bible, Jesus is going to address this question in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And if you're just joining us, we're in a series here called Kingdom Living. And we are walking verse by verse through the greatest speech ever given. And it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to a great crowd of people. Um, But more specifically, he's speaking to his disciples. And uh, as we've gone through this um, powerful, powerful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we we have seen Jesus speak to his disciples. The very first thing he says is, is blessed. And he says how blessed we are to be his followers. Then he talks about our influence. He moves from the character of the Christian to the influence of the Christian. And he talks about the influence we have in this world as salt and light. And now he's going he's gonna to talk about the importance of God's word in our relationship with God. So he's really laying a foundation here for everything else that is to come. So let's look at this together. Let's see what Jesus has to say um, about the law and the prophets. And that's what Jesus would have called um, those first 39 books. It's what we call the Old Testament today. This is what Jesus said as he continues in the Sermon on the Mount. He says... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, unless heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to talk today about Scripture. How does... Scripture relate to us as followers of Jesus? Does it matter? Um, But most importantly, I want you to come today and to hear from God. It's why we call it the Word of God, because God wants to speak to you. So let's pray, and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thanks for this morning. Uh, Thank you for each person that is here. And um, we all come with um, different things going on in in our heart, whether it's a distraction, whether it is hurt or pain, whether it is joy or sadness. But the truth is, you want to speak to each 
person and each heart in this room. So speak to us today. God, we are listening. And we invite you in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your scripture, go ahead and leave it open. We're going to walk right through this passage um, as Jesus talks about um, our relationship to God's word. And the first thing I want to show you is that scripture wasn't abolished by Jesus. Jesus actually uses that word, abolish. And scripture was not abolished by Jesus. This is actually important. Uh, There's, some of you may remember a movie that came out back in 1989. It was called Dead Poets Society. Any of you remember that movie? Yeah, yeah. It starred Robin Williams, and he's this charismatic teacher, and he goes to a prep school, and the school is really rigid, and everything they're learning is, is like rigid and kind of uptight. And, uh, and Robin Williams comes in as this teacher, Mr. Keating, and um, you know he tells his class, open it up, open up your, your poetry textbook to page 21. He has a student read the introduction. And uh, there's this great scene as the student reads the introduction to Understanding Poetry by uh, um, J. Evans Pritchard, Ph.D., and the student's reading it, and it's dull, and it's boring, and you're like, graph, you know, making this graph to understand, you know, whether this poetry is good or not. And the student finishes. And now the class is looking up at the teacher, and, and what does he say? He says, rip it out, tear it out, shred it, be gone, J. Evans Pritchard. And the class starts tearing the introduction out of their textbook. You guys remember that great scene? You know, is that what Jesus came to do. Rip it out. Tear it out. Be gone. Old Testament with all your, you know, whatever laws. And, you know, we kind of hear things like that today where people might even say, you know, that was the Old Testament. That doesn't apply. That's, that was, uh, we're not under law. We're under grace. And, and uh, we want to talk about that. How does the Old Testament apply? Uh, but, you know, one of my, one of my favorite Uh, preachers, one of my favorite communicators of God's word, is someone named Andy Stanley. And you guys have all probably heard about Andy Stanley. Um, But he said some things about the Old Testament that really kind of have people scratching their heads. And I kind of raised my eyebrow. And and I just want to share some of these things because I don't think these are unique to Andy Stanley. Um, But he said in an interview with Relevant Magazine, he said... Christians are not required to obey any of the commandments found in the first part of their Bibles, including the Big Ten. And here Andy Stanley saying, Christians really aren't required to obey the Ten Commandments. And my, you know, my, I kind of raise an eyebrow when I hear that. Um, another time he said to his church, uh, Peter, James, and Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. And... Um, and I just, I love Andy Stanley. I can continue to listen to his message and my podcast. I'm just kind of raising my eyebrow and going, where, you know, where is this going? Um, a lot of this stuff goes back, honestly, to the very first heresy of the church. And, and Andy Stanley hasn't gone this far. But there was a Christian leader. This is the very first heresy in the church, and it involved the Old Testament. It was a guy named Marcion. He was a Christian leader. And he actually said that to Christians, he said, the God of the Old Testament 
isn't our God. And he said the teaching of the Old Testament isn't our teaching. And he literally took the Old Testament out of the Bible. There is a Marcion Bible. It does not have an Old Testament in it. He just rip, shred, tear it out, be gone. And then he changed the words of Jesus that we just read today to say, Jesus didn't come to, Jesus said, I didn't come to fulfill the law and prophets. I came to abolish them. That's how Marcion changed Jesus's words. And of course, the church was like, uh, no, <laughs> you're a heretic. And so they said, you know, be gone, Marcion. But is that what Jesus came to do? Did he come to abolish scripture? No, absolutely not. And we see that in Jesus. Is, Jesus is actually affirming all of scripture and all the story of God, which is what I love. And he says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think this is the real Jesus at the real Jesus right here. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Law and prophets, it's what Jesus would have called those first 39 books, the Old Testament. And Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. And then he elaborates, and this is really good. He says, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, dot of an I, cross of a T, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, isn't it interesting he uses the word commands, and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Could Jesus be any more clear? Did he come to abolish any scripture? No, not at all. Scripture wasn't abolished by Jesus. What did he come to do? Not to abolish, but to fulfill. He did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Verse 17, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so when you read your Old Testament, and I hope you do, I hope you get into God's word. The very first thing you need to understand is that when you're reading the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament is pointing you to Jesus. It's leading you to Jesus. It is keeping our hope alive for Jesus. And that's what I love about the Old Testament. When I'm reading it, it's constantly bringing me back to Jesus. And so if I can just help you today and give you a, just a few things to help you as you read your Old Testament, um, I want to give you three things to look for as you read the Old Testament. You might want to jot these down. These are three things I look for as I read the Old Testament. So here we go. Three things to look for in the Old Testament. Number one, look for what's right, the will, and the ways of God. So anytime you read your Old Testament, you can look for things that are right, the will and the ways of God. And what I love about the Old Testament is that when you read the Old Testament, man, you're going to get to know God on a whole new level. In the beginning, God. Right? You're going to see his glory. Holy, holy, holy. And so you're going to begin. I love that we sang Yahweh, right? That's God's name in the Old Testament. So you're going to get a vision of God that's really powerful. And we're going to say that's right. That's who he is. Look for that. Look for the will of God. As we read the Old Testament, you're going to begin to understand God's will for your life. And it's true, a lot of times that will comes through commandments. 
like the Ten Commandments. It comes from moral encouragement. Things like worship God alone, do justice, love mercy. That's God's will for our life, isn't it? And so as you read the Old Testament, look for what's right. Look for the will and the ways of God. Number two, look for what's wrong. (laughs) Our sin and rebellion. Have you guys ever noticed that pretty much all the characters in the Bible are jacked up? Like even our heroes, they're all messed up. Uh, if, you, if you're reading the Old Testament looking for, like, the perfect family, uh, it's, you're not going to find it. Every family in the Old Testament is messed up. That should give us some hope today. <laughs> Even the nation of Israel can't quite pull it together and, and follow God's law. So what we're seeing as we read the Old Testament we're seeing our story in the story of Scripture. We're seeing our sin, our rebellion. We all fall short of the glory of God, don't we? And that's so clear as we read the Old Testament. As we see the failure of those who've come before us. Look for what's right. The will and ways of God, look for what's wrong. Our sin and rebellion, last one. Look for what's needed. Because it's all fulfilled in Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. And of course we see that with the commandments. None of us can keep God's law perfectly. No one ever has it. It reminds us, reminds us of our need for Jesus who fulfilled God's law for us. That's the moral law. Ceremonial law. Talked about those sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's how those sins were forgiven. But it was a picture of our need for forgiveness. And it was a picture of our need for Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice and his death on the cross. It shows us our need for Jesus, doesn't it? Moral law, ceremonial law, civil law. So the three you know, big categories people point at. You read the Old Testament, there are laws that are in place that create a political nation, the nation of Israel. Why would God have that in the Old Testament, this political nation? Never pull it together. Could it be that the political solution was never the solution? Could it be a reminder of our need for Jesus and King Jesus? See, I don't think the political solution was the solution then. I don't think it is today. You know, salvation isn't coming on Air Force One. It's coming with Jesus Christ. We need Jesus. And so as you read the Old Testament, whether you're reading about the kings that fall short or people that fall short, the will of God, the ways of God, look for these three things. This is going to begin to unlock Scripture for you. Now, are you still going to have questions? Absolutely. But this is a great place to start. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. I think what you get in the Old Testament, as I imagine it, is God is really saying, he's preparing us for Jesus. He's saying, not this, not this, not this. And then when Jesus comes, God says, this, this. I love what Paul says in Romans 15.4 about 
what was written in the past, these 39 books. Romans 15.4, Paul says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. And that's the hope we have in Jesus. If you need hope today, I encourage you, open up the Bible this week. Scripture is full of hope. And if you open up the scripture, it's going to begin to teach you. It's going to begin to encourage you. And you are going to fall more in love with Jesus Christ. Because it's all pointing to him. Scripture wasn't abolished by Jesus. What we want to do is we want to apply scripture through Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about next. This is a little bit more teaching today. So you guys doing good? You guys doing good? Good. All right. Scripture is applied through Jesus. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to learn God's word and we want to apply it to our life. This is what Jesus says next. Matthew 5, 19. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, everybody say practice. Practice. Everybody say teach. Teach. All right. What's Jesus saying? Practice and teach. Practices and teach. He's saying we must learn God's word and use it. We must learn God's word and apply it to our life. Jesus says those who do that will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I remember when my daughter was born and I became a first-time dad. I took some paternity leave. Glory to God. Hallelujah for paternity leave. Now, people always talk about a mother's instinct. And a mother's instinct is real. I saw that mother's instinct kick in. But I had something kicking in inside of me. And I called my dad and I said, Dad, I need to build something. Now, if you know me, I don't build things. I don't know how to use most tools, certainly not power tools. But my dad said, what do you want to build? And I said, I got a new baby. I'm going to need a new shelf in the garage. Everybody say storage. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So my dad came over. He brought all the supplies, and he puts a power saw in my hand. And I said, all right, let's do this. I built the shelf with my dad. I have the pictures to prove it, just so you all know. (laughs) I I built that. (laughs) Some of you guys said, that's just you know, kindergarten. But I was so proud of myself. That was my moment of dad greatness. (laughs) Oh my goodness. See guys, greatness in the kingdom is becoming the person God created you to be. And he puts a power tool in your hand. And that power tool is the word of God. Look at Hebrews 4.12. I love this. The word of God is living active, sharper than any two-edged sword or power saw, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. And I love this last line, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's where Jesus is going. Jesus came for the transformation of your heart and the transformation of your life. 
And the word of God, when it comes to that, is a power tool. Christianity is a matter of the heart. God wants to change your heart. This is the greatness of what God wants to do in your life. It's about the person he wants you to become through him. But Jesus gives us a warning. And I pass it on to all of us. If all we do is learn God's word and apply it to our life, but we don't allow God to transform our heart, we have missed the greatness of what God wants to do in our life. Do you know what I'm talking about? If all we do is learn God's word and look good on the outside, we don't allow God to transform our heart. We've really missed what God wants to do in our life. Jesus gives us this warning. Verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are these Pharisees and teachers of the law? I think when the great crowd would have heard Jesus say this, their jaw would have hit the floor. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who are these cats? The Pharisees? These were the most righteous people. The teachers of the law, they knew God's word better than anyone else. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of them, you'll not enter the kingdom. And everybody goes, he's saying I think we get a clue later on in, and we will as we go through the Sermon on the Mount I'll talk about this in a bit but later on in the story Matthew 23 25 Jesus calls these Pharisees and teachers of the law hypocrites he says woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees same group you hypocrites what's a hypocrite somebody puts on a show right he says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, says, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus is saying, you hypocrites, you look so good on the outside, but inside, your heart is a mess. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, that's what religion is about. Religion is about behavior modification. But Christianity is about heart transformation. It's a big difference. So what's this surpassing righteousness? It's kind of a big deal. Jesus says, without it, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Surpassing righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, without which we will not see the kingdom of heaven. And the order of this great sermon is very important. Because how did he start out? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who say, my heart is a mess. I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. He says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. A few verses later, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
And we come to God poor in spirit, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We come to the cross where Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, rises from the dead, not only to forgive us, but I love this, he gives us his righteousness. So powerful. And that is the righteousness that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees. And it is the power of Jesus then that begins to transform our heart and life so that we look more like his son, Jesus. So we don't just apply scripture here, do we? We apply it through Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law for us. It's his righteousness. And then he fulfills the law in us. It's his power changing our life. Scripture was not abolished by Jesus. But what we want to do as a church is we want to begin to see Scripture applied through Jesus. That's my challenge today as we close. Get in God's word. Learn it. Apply it to your life. Let it transform your life. It is a powerful, powerful thing to be in God's word. Some of you this week, you need hope. It's in God's word. Some of you need wisdom. It's in God's word. Some of you need an encounter with a powerful, awesome, holy God. It's here. He's going to meet with you. Just three encouragements where we can begin to apply this. Number one, this week is small group week. And I just think one of the best ways to learn God's word, apply it to your life, and experience transformation is to study this in community. Small groups meet this week. I'm excited. Get in a small group. If you're not a part of a small group, talk to me. Go online. Click groups. You can find a group. Maybe it's, maybe it's in a group. Maybe it's on your own this week. You and God. I'm going to start the day. Every day this week in God's Word. I'm going to open this up and read God's Word. Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. Now, there's a great Bible for some of you that are new to this. It's called the Way finding Bible. You might want to write that down. Because what it does is there's three paths through the Bible. There's like a flyover. It's the 50 most important passages of Scripture. How many of you can do that? 50 most important? Oh yeah. So that's the flyover. Then there's like a regular one. I don't know what they call that, but it's like a hundred readings through the whole Bible story. And then there's the scenic route. If you want to go in a little bit deeper. But it takes you through at a level where you're ready to go. So maybe it's on your own this week. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my day in, with God. Every day I start my day with God, I have a better day. Doesn't mean that my day is going to be perfect, but I'm prepared to meet what I'm going to face that day. Last one is, um, man, our family loves reading the Bible together as a family. And every night we crash on the bed, we read a Bible passage together, and we pray. And I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're a mom or a dad, if you have kids um, or grandkids, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. Because what, what this kid's Bible does is it shows how every, every scripture points to Jesus. So even as you read the stories in the Old Testament, it's pointing you to Jesus, just like we talked about today. So this is a great resource if you have kids, Jesus Storybook Bible. But let's get into scripture this week, right? And let God transform our lives. All right, we're going to pray, and um, we'll close with some worship. Father, thanks for this morning, and we just thank you for your word.
God, thanks for uh, the story that you're writing. It is a big God story. And we're a part of that story through Jesus. And I just pray that this week that we would find powerful moments in Scripture, not just in the Bible, but with you, Jesus. Us and you reading Scripture together. And our heart, God, is that as even we call it the Word of God, Lord, we ask that you would speak into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and you would do a work of transformation. Help us to look more like Jesus. And we ask that in your name. And we all said, amen.